0: Hello, Michael, how are you
1: today? Very well, I've recovered from a uh, trip to Adelaide I had recently where we cro- yes. crossed paths very, oh, very briefly. briefly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, you came in very hot. So, yeah,
0: how long did you end
1: up staying? Did you stay overnight? Yeah, just just in and out really. Um, it was not my preferred way of enjoying a heist but uh, it needs must. It was a busy week for me. We had a, a industri- kind of an industry night of uh, created this thing called Open Mic in the government gig which I uh, was i guess inspired by uh i think in taiwan i've mentioned this in the past like the bureaucrats have to sit in a government building <laughs> for a day to meet the public kind of thing so you kind of have this interchange and it's good because uh, for example help with their pandemic response because they were getting information that wasn't through the usual channels and so yeah open mic um we did that out at fox studios um and yeah, it was good like uh there's a real energy around um you know the place at the moment and um it's bringing people together that to collaborate really which is you know when we talk about uh creativity and uh inspiration like you, you know, that, that happens when you you bring people from different uh, walks of life together and put them in a room and yeah so so from that on wednesday night to a heist on thursday and
0: then back again on friday so anyway what about you well i was disappointed i couldn't come but um as you know first night of a heist is usually quite a time so uh it was a long evening um but yeah apart from that just busy same as um i feel like i give the same response every time um very very busy trying to keep up with uh you know all the demands that is out there but uh life's pretty good
1: I did see the, the results of your handiwork because I had I had lunch with Will Debo Repair on uh, Thursday. briefly. <laughs> he, he mentioned he'd been out with you, and uh, and and I and I did recall. Um, yes, I, I I I saw the I saw I saw through his um his his pain. Uh, the- <laughs> <laughs> it
0: wasn't good. We had uh, Pat Lonrigan from uh, from Doma, Wayne Toronto from Avila, and and obviously Will and a few other people, and it was just a really good group of people who um tend to get on quite well, so I think the tequilas came out at about eight o'clock and uh yeah Will was not looking very good the next day. I saw him at the airport going through security that night and he was spilling all sorts so.
1: oh, I love the power of understatement there, Luke. I think the yeah. tequila's came out at eight pm <laughs> Well it was
0: at eight or eight fifteen. Yeah.
1: yeah I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah by the <laughs> by my credit card receipts I believe that I bought a full <laughs> of tequila at eight fifteen PM You're on yeah, <laughs> Something like
0: that. Uh but yeah no it was it was a good time. A Heights is always awesome. I love that event. Um they do a very very good job. Um but anyway we digress into Today, we have Bianca Dawson uh, joining us for the podcast, and she, uh, not only is she an absolute legend, but she has recently taken over the CEO role at um, Sand Hill Road, so thought it'd be good to get her on. Um, she was speaking at the Pub Leaders Summit a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Um, talking about and we probably won't I, I don't think we need to talk too much about covid in the chat but um coming out of you know victoria which was uh, the most locked down or melbourne the most locked down city in the world um she was speaking about that it was pretty interesting to hear her thoughts but um i think it's a very different market now that they'll be experiencing down there um a lot more positivity as we're seeing kind of everywhere and a lot of enthusiasm to be back out and, and about but um, she's also very passionate about females within hospitality and trying to um have some positive impact there. So I'm sure there'll be a lot to talk about. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to hear what she's, what she's got going on.
1: Yeah, very much. I haven't met her before. So I'm really looking forward to this podcast. Let's get into it.
0: Well, welcome to the Back of House podcast, Bianca. Thank Thanks you so much for joining us.
2: Great to be here.
0: In your own words, you want to just give us a bit of insight as to who you are, what you do, and uh, maybe a bit about Sandhill Road as well
2: yeah sure so um, i am the ceo of sandhill road group so we currently have um, we have eight venues at the moment and we are currently building our ninth which is an exciting project coming up the group has been around for 22 years, so um, started off a, a group of four mates that uh, decided that they wanted to get into the pub game. Only one of them at that time was actually in HOSPO, so Doug Maskill. And basically they just begged, borrowed and stealed and asked for every all of their friends and relatives for a bit of money and, and bought their first, first pub 22 years ago. And then obviously things just just moved on from there. So look, we've had we've had twelve pubs over the journey, and we're and and we're sitting at nine now. So back back in the day, they had a pub in Bundaberg, I think, at one stage, and um and obviously the commercial club. So and look over the over the years, I think it's it's a really interesting journey to follow. I mean, we they started off with with what is now our smallest venue, which is Holly Ava on on Swan Street, tiny little bar there with a with a beer garden and. All the way through to to our largest venue at the moment in our portfolio, which is which is the SB. So I think that there's yeah, it's it's just been a, a great journey for the guys. I think over the years, a fifth partner joined Andrew Lark, who was our fifth partner joined when we bought the SB. And yeah, it's just been it's just been the boys just have this incredible. Way of you know immersing our pubs into the community, and they're very very committed to the community. And I think that that sort of sort of shows in in particularly in our really big pubs, which is where we're sort of heading now, is in those sort of larger scale, multi facet pubs where we really want to be able to appeal to such a broad market in the community.
0: Nice. Back on yourself, just for a second. Yes. So your pathway. I mean, we, part of the reason we started this podcast, I guess, was really to showcase. The pathways to senior leadership, or and not even just senior leadership, but I guess the pathways that you can take through it's through the sector. The topic of talent in the sector is is obviously very very high at the moment, and mm. part of what Mike and I have spoken about a lot is just the the attraction level in to, to the sector at the grassroots um, level, mm. because not all people don't always see it, or prospective you know uh, professionals don't always see it as a long term career path it's kind of you go and work in hospitality for a couple of years while you're at uni and then you, you get out but your pathway is really unique to get to ceo so just like how did, how did you start in and 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 end up where you are now
2: yeah, sure. So uh, my parents signed the lease on their first restaurant on the day I was born. So, which I'm sure my mum was thrilled about that at the time. But yeah, look, I guess I guess I was destined for a life in hospo. So yeah, grew up with my parents having restaurants. I was, the, you know, the typical hospo kid that was, you know, doing my homework at the table in the middle of the restaurant and, and then, you know, falling asleep until I was put into the car and taken home. So grew up in hospo but funnily enough you know once I sort of reached that point of you know worked in the restaurants from sort of when I was probably about 10 years old but once I was getting towards sort of the later years of high school my parents particularly my mum were was um, very much adamant that I needed to go to uni and I needed to find a different a different path I think you know I think seeing how hard my parents had worked you know in, in an own operator type environment for so long I think that, you know, I loved hospitality at the time and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I think that um, it's so funny, you look back at your career and realise that for so many, for so many years and in different ways, people were trying to steer you away from it. So I went and did a journalism degree and then moved over to London thinking that I would move into journalism, but of course went straight to HOSPO and didn't move from there. So I worked for a great group in London uh, at the time called the Gaucho Grill Group and then from there look headed back moved to melbourne at that point i'd met my husband in london and he was from melbourne so i'm originally from sydney and uh again sort of sort of looked at at going into hospo at that point i thought maybe events was where i wanted to be as opposed to sort of in ops it had done you know the london slog of working in a restaurant where they do a five a seven a nine and an eleven seating and you know i think that there was a whole winter there where i didn't see the light of day so, thought that events management was where I wanted to get into, started working, you know, in a, in a venue in, in St Kilda in an events management and then quickly um, moved over into the venue manager role and ended up buying into that business. So, that was sort of my, my path in terms of operations and then I think I had another crossroads after I sort of got married and I think I was sort of starting to think about whether I wanted to have children and the concept of working in operations and having children just felt like something that was completely impossible and somewhere that I needed to, again, move away from. It was at that point, you know, the people side of the business was always my passion. It was always what um, I really focused on. It was always something that I felt I was naturally sort of good at and that leadership side was really, really um, interesting to me. So this is when I started to do lots of research and created my own sort of leadership programs. I was trying to find training in the sector that actually related to HOSPO training as opposed to sort of corporate based leadership training. So I went on to sort of write my own leadership programs. And that was when I decided to move into the HR at the time, HR, people and culture area of the business. And my business partners uh, at the single venue that I was running at that point had a group of venues. So I moved over into a sort of an HR training role nationally over, over their venues had my first daughter and then I was approached by the guys at Sandhill Road. So that was about sort of five five or so years ago. Again, I just had my daughter. So I came over working uh, part-time, working with our our old CEO, Dan Viney, worked part-time in, in a people and culture role. And then after I had my second daughter, I actually came back into an operations role, which was always what I really loved. I think I had been, I loved the people side, which, which naturally lent me to HR or people and culture. But then that guest experience, operations, you know, food and Bev side is also what I really loved. So that was where I sort of moved back in, in there and then went on to sort of take over a COO and then uh, in January this year moved over to the CEO role.
0: Yeah, right. Quite yeah. a journey.
2: Bit of a journey. Yeah, a bit <laughs> yeah.
0: of a journey. <laughs> and there's so much to unpack there, but seeing as you brought it up, I thought just the, I guess, obviously being a female CEO, also just a CEO, but um, in terms of female CEOs in the sector, they're kind of hard to come by if you uh, really have a good look at it. And I think you mentioned it before in terms of juggling the the ability to be involved in ops while having children and, and it kind of feeling perhaps insurmountable or, or uh, you know untenable in, in some ways. I, I'd That's probably the same case for a lot of females within the sector, I would suggest, and that's probably why we don't have many um sort of more or well, more sorry female leaders that's something that you're really passionate about right? And, and you're sort of trying to, trying to change. Is that correct? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, So I started a program at Sandhill Road called Her Hospo, which is really sort of um, working on how we are uh, mentoring, how we are attracting female identifying employees to come and work for us and how we're really sort of celebrating and, and supporting them through their Hospo journey. It is something that I feel super passionate about. Apart from sort of someone of the likes of, sort of Justine Baker, I think there are so few female CEOs in, in our, Industry and um, and you know and that wider sector of booze and you know it is really sort of rare and I think that it's something that we need to there needs to be a lot of advocacy around that I mean what are we doing and if we've done a lot of sort of study on our um, you know agenda stats and things so once you get to certain levels in terms of the management hierarchy we're seeing that you know that, that in terms of once you get to sort of above that sort of duty manager level is that our, our numbers of, of female leaders is really dropping and I think that that's where we sort of you know, for a lot of women, they're hitting a period in their life where they're thinking, is this sustainable? You know, how am I going to continue? I need to look for a different path. Is it events, is it, you know, for me, is it events, is it PNC? But I think that it's so important that we, we start to you know the old days of writing a roster of tuesday to saturday doubles is gone and we need to be more creative than that and we need to be more supportive than that so what are we going to do as an industry i mean it just it starts from the education piece which is huge you know how are we getting to to young women and saying this is actually a really excellent option for you we offer Food technology, for example, is is the closest probably thing in a high school environment that we can get. It's a science-based degree, uh, a science-based subject effectively. So for those that aren't potentially academic or those that, you know, that's not of interest to them, well, how else are we starting to sort of Lean those people towards coming over to us, and I think that there's a huge amount of work to be done, all the way from sort of high school and through tertiary in terms of how we're attracting people, and it's also about I think the perception of our of our industry as well. It's we almost need a bit of a rebrand. I mean, I think that people feel like they watch an episode of you know Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares, and you know, and it's it's so old school and that sort of mentality, and I think that people still think that that's what the industry is. So. A lot of work to be done there, so yeah, I am very, very passionate about, and I can't wait to sort of, you know, we're working really hard on her hospo and hoping that you know it won't just be a Soundhill Road initiative for long, but it will be, you know, a, a wider, a wider initiative in terms of the industry.
1: is uh, interesting listening. And I guess uh, I can't help but observe, and I think I'm right, Luke, in saying Sarah Derry, who joined as CEO of Accor Pacific, may have been in a cultural role before. And as as we've been going through the pandemic, Bianca, Luke and I have been talking a lot about, uh, everyone's looking for solutions uh, in challenging times. And there's, I think, a a through line potentially. And while we might be talking about the importance of um, culture uh, today, I think over the time in our discussions, it's been an escalating point. And right now there's, I think, at least at the table, the panel we are at yesterday, conversations in yesterday, I think it, I'm coming to the conclusion that it is the single unique USP um, that will dif- differentiate businesses of the future in this sector versus mm. um, those that don't make it through the pandemic. I was anecdotally in discussions with um, uh, some operators yesterday who uh, who aren't having the same challenge that the sector at broadcast level is having, because to be really honest, they're they're younger. Mm. more attuned to, uh, I imagine, what the principles that you've detailed in her hospital is. And I don't think that they're necessarily gender-defining principles. I think that there's mm. an element about sustainability of career path uh, opportunities and, and so forth. And so I, I feel like that we're probably going to start seeing a, almost emergence of a two-speed two employment market. Luke, what do you think about that? Because you'd, you'd be sort of, you're, you're one of the biggest champions of, of culture as the identifying um, trademark for recruitment. Do you, do you, are you sort of seeing that as a heightened uh, competitive advantage?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was just thinking back, I think in reference to high so I remember sitting on that panel, the F&B panel in 2019 before COVID was even a thing and I guess my final point was that culture is the new battleground for hospitality. If you want to attract and retain talent, you have to have good culture. Like, and that was before all of this happened. And I think we've been saying that for a number of years. Like, the talent shortage hasn't just come around. It was it was evident when I was still in the industry, and it's you know it's just been exacerbated now. No one's having a good time of it at the moment, but I think those who have a strong culture are definitely having a far better time um, mm. than those who don't. Because I think. As you mentioned, like even the, at the duty manager level, I mean, that, that kind of lower tier in front of house and back of house, not lower tier, but lower. Um, mm-hmm. Responsibility level, I guess, is where most businesses are struggling. And if you don't have a good culture at that level, candidates, staff members will walk in and they will walk out and they'll get another job in a place that they like better within 48 hours, you know, 100%. and that they, they will be spoilt for choice. So mm.
2: And kitchen's the same. I mean, it's, you know, this... Uh, that you are exactly as you say, they're being tapped on the shoulder daily. So if we're not sort of supporting and we're not really, and you know, I think there's a lot of what will come, what is coming out of it, I think a lot of people, you know what I've always loved about Sandhill Road is that our owners actually believe it, and I think that there's so many people in the industry that put steps in place because they think they have to, and really it's sort of perceived as, oh yep, yeah, now we have to do P and C because that's just the thing that everybody's doing, and I think that that's what I love about this company is that from the beginning we've we've they genuinely believe in their people, and you know if you draw one positive out of the pandemic, it's like the the industry's had to sort of wake up very bloody quickly to realize that people have always been our most important resource and you know you can't open your venues if you don't have the people to do it and we're in a position now where our staffing levels are dictating our trading hours which is so unheard of so yeah it's really really interesting and i think that you know I'm so proud of the programs that we've done and this was all pre-pandemic and you know we always believed for so long that that you know it would be a word of mouth thing and it always was We, we we always you know we had a flow of people wanting to work for us which was amazing and we were always, you know, we, we never really felt like we needed to shout it from the rooftops. Obviously now we're not quite so <laughs> humble about it and we want to tell everybody how great we are because we want people to come and work for us. But yeah, it's interesting. It is, it's it's really, really interesting. And, and I think you've got to, you know, this element of, mentorship and, you know, and and realising the mental health crisis that the industry's in and how we're supporting that. And the industry has changed so much. And I think these issues have always been there, but obviously it's just been heightened so much over the last couple of years. And the mental health piece is something that I'm also super passionate about in terms of supporting our employees.
1: I just want to interrogate this a bit further because at least for me, like I think I'm uh, you know coming to a couple of insights What so because i i guess um and we all know in leadership roles i'm going through this as, as a as a startup within government you, you kind of can't just flick a switch and say you've got good culture and and i think justine in a panel luke uh, we had at Hastings connect. I remember this image she had of, I think it was the culture gardener or something like this it was almost like you, you have to nurture mm. on a daily basis. You have to nurture and establish the culture. And so I guess if you're a business listening to this and you are kind of like, Oh, we need good culture. I don't want to insult listeners by the way. I think people understand it, but there's mm. a two-step process. One is establishing the culture in the first place. And then as Bianca just identified speaking about it from the rooftops. then I can only encourage those businesses with good culture and so, first, you have to take time to establish it, and that's that's a commitment, and that's going to you can't just do that immediately. Second, if you have it, talk about it mm. um, at scale, because the attractor to the industry to counter the uh, kitchen nightmares and uh, you know, I guess perception. Yes, there's there's a role to be done in a coordinated voice, but if larger players, and I think like Sandhill Road and other businesses of scale are what I call framework businesses these days, as we look at the pandemic and how. You, you know the, the the sector recovers the reality is that the larger players have a disproportionate impact on on the market and and that can be positive and that can be negative so mm. so positive culture being established and talked about and encouraged I, I think is' just a key thing and then celebrated and then the more coordinated i think the sector can be about it the better and that mm. is taking her hospital taking marcello Calizmo's um program that he's running and kind of putting these things together with Other educational things and saying, well, here's the, here's what success looks like. That's my, my, my objective. Having sat sat and sat. yeah,
2: absolutely, and I think it's really important that that people realise that it's scalable as well. Like, I understand when I say this, you know, people go, oh, well, you know, you've got 500 employees and you've got the resource to do it. But, you know, for the last two years, we've had no resource to do it. And and I guess we just, you know, I guess I want people to sort of really realise that there's small things that you can, even if in an own operator environment, there's so much you can do. You know, we've got all these amazing employees that have got all these great skills, like utilise those skills. If you've got somebody, you know, at the moment we've got, a bartender from the B who does all of our photography across all of our venues now. He does all of our food photography. We've got a waiter who assists with our point of sale and assists our IT, you know, a couple of days a week. And even, you know, and and then it's, you know, someone that works for you might be, you know, a yoga teacher or, you know, like there's, if, if we're really creative about it, it is scalable and it's not just something that we can do that big venues can do and, and that big groups can do. And it's really also realising, you know, that, when you really understand your people and you really understand what makes them tick. I mean, I was speaking at an event on, on Monday night, an A-plus event, and I was sort of saying that there are, you know, as a head chef, stock take might be your most loathed job of the week but if you say to a junior you know to an apprentice hey, have you ever done a stock take before do you want me to why don't you come in on Monday and I'll show you how we do it and you know that sort of level it doesn't always need to be you know financially led reward doesn't always need to be financially led you know it really I think it's just really about understanding your people and what makes them tick and what you know what is what is relevant I think the generation of hospital employees that we've got now I mean they smell bullshit in a second so if it's not genuine and it it's not actually sort of really targeted towards them they're not interested so yeah it's a really it is a it's such an interesting space
0: it is and i, I mean there's there's so much to cover there you talk about a rebrand for the sector i think that's like there's the number of times that's come up over, I kind of feel like we're kind of in conference season, so we keep referencing different conferences, but it was yeah. at like <laughs> the Pub Leaders Summit, or it was at A-Heist, so I'm sure at the Hospitality Leaders Summit in a week, it'll be it'll be the same, but everyone's, everyone's singing from the same songbook, it's just getting everyone unified, and, and like Michael, you did with the NTIA, like I remember you saying at the beginning, that was about trying to, heard cats and get 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 a message consistent and unified. Like it's almost like that cross-sector needs to happen. But I think, you know, remember the first lockdown and how much thought, how much time operators put into thinking about their stuff? Like if only it was like that all the time. Like there mm-hmm. were, you know, there were meals, there were like care packs, there were people putting on, you know, just added things, sending bloody fruit boxes or whatever Mm -hmm. it was or supplies to their staff members like why can't it be like that all the time and if Mm. it was can you imagine the difference that would make long term
2: Mm. it's so true it is so true and we've tried that's something we've spoken about a lot and tried hard to yeah as I said, there was the weekly wine club, there was the cooking class, there was the meals getting sent to homes, you know, all that sort of stuff.
0: Group chats, it's like, yeah.
2: Yeah, mm. absolutely.
0: with a heart that I didn't break. I'll be there for you, I would care for you. I keep thinking
1: you just don't know. Trying to run from mm-hmm. that, say you're done with that. On your face, girl, it just don't show. When you're ready, just say you're ready. When all the bag is just ain't as heavy and the party's over, just don't forget me. We'll change the pace and we'll just go slow. But one of the things that comes up, and I'm just curious for your perspective, because based in New South Wales as I am, sometimes you can be in your own little echo chamber. I guess um, I'm, I'm approaching the, I think advocates would will tell me that the um, one of the key drivers for uh, fixing the employment shortage is the return of international students and i as, as someone who's never op- operated a business like i'd be curious to know bianca from a sandhill road perspective mm. h- how much you know historically you've drawn on international students specifically and, mm. and maybe the answer is you haven't but that's which is fine or and is that a, a key driver or is it a nice to have or is it a, you know like what, what's your perspective
2: 100 percent, a, a key driver I agree with what you're saying and I think what I take from it you know people people seem to think that we're going to flick this switch with the international and that 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 the industry is going to be saved and it's just not the case I mean and that's why this sort of I'm starting to really you know think about that sort of education piece and it's just got to start from there I mean we can't have an industry that's completely driven by, you know, by rel- the reliance on international, international workers. Yes, our business needs it and always needed it, and I love what what bringing international people in does for the business in terms of the right diversity and and we need it. But it's absolutely not the answer to all of our problems. And it was the same as you know when we were so focused on restrictions and well we need the restrictions to be the restrictions to be lifted. It was like, hang on a sec. We don't have enough staff for restrictions to be lifted so and i still you know i'm still in a position you know we've got two of the biggest pubs in melbourne and i still can't get them open on a monday so you know things aren't whilst we're doing all this work and you know i'm passionate about the work that we do you know we're struggling like everybody else and and i've i've consciously made the decision to keep it to keep the venues closed on a monday until i feel like we're at a comfortable staffing level i could open them now but I'm not going to do it to the staff. I can't do it. And what longevity does that give me if I've got the guys working six doubles a week? You know, so to go back to your question, so key, but certainly not the answer to all of our problems.
1: And there's another element to this. I found myself uh, in in the New South Wales context, I guess, uh, and I'm of Indian background. um, My parents migrated. And uh, and obviously India uh, and Australia just signed a free trade agreement. You know, there's uh, um, a huge population of, workers in India, et cetera, so, and as someone that's sort of now positioned as partly an attractor for talent,
0: mm.
1: I, I kind of feel I've, you know, your point about um, her hospital, I think you named as the program, I like, the thing I, I kind of am um, thinking about is if you think about like a, an Indian family, for example, that is, um, you know, working quite hard to send their daughter or son to international market to get education and and the, uh, the perception around you know, these are people who are sometimes doing postdoctorate, you know, postdoctoral studies, all sorts of things, and and then do you think what their families are saying to them about working in hospitality, right? Like we haven't saved up all this money for you to go to mm. another country, and then etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And so I, I guess like the, the perspective I have on it is going back to uh, how um, you build systems to explain and educate actually no this is a good opportunity for these reasons uh, is is relevant both to you know to any worker really mm. um, but to the extent that our brains need to categorize people on gender or on you know if, you know like location yes then I can accept that you might need different systems but essentially it's the same thing it's about explaining in a language that junior staff members or mm you know, if you want to use female, yes. Um, But also international job market, what language do you need to explain? Uh, And it's not the same language. It's just not the same language as an Australian born person, in my opinion, Mm. needs to hear its Mm. a story.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think from, yeah, from an international perspective, yeah, how are we and you know, how are we fostering these people and how are we mentoring these people who, you know, for a lot of them, there's there's the flip side, there's those who come from a cultural background where they, you know, where their families wouldn't see the, the power in it. And then on the flip side, there's those that are working here and working really hard and sending money home to support their families. So it's it's a really interesting point. And I think that it, I think it's a, it's a broader issue, particularly here in terms of as we talk about the rebrand and, and the perception of the industry. And I think now's the time. We've got a great opportunity now when we're employing people with no experience. So we've gone from always employing HOSPO people who at least had that, you know, they wanted to be in the industry. What we have now is we're employing people. And again, if we want to pull a positive out of COVID, we're employing people on value alignment, we're employing them on personality. If we can have a good chat about, you know, if, if, you know, and we're now, we don't ask those questions anymore. We ask stuff like, you know, like if you could, if I could give you a plane ticket to anywhere in the world, where would you go? Tell me about it. Why would you go there? And all of a sudden we're like, you know what? So I feel like we now have this opportunity in terms of these kids that have literally just finished school. They've just started their uni degree. I mean, for so many of them, they're not really sure what they want to do. And what are they seeing when they come into our industry like are they seeing the old school hospo you know work you to the bone what happens during service stays during service type mentality or are we actually showing them you know an environment whereby we actually give a shit about you and you know what it doesn't matter if hospo is not your long term you know it doesn't matter if you're starting to be a dentist or whatever you're doing but don't you just want to be the best that you can now at what you're doing so let's let's teach you everything that you need to know about the food let's let's bring in every per every expert expert that we can in booze and in everything and it's just i think it's and and also sort of really um you know we're very very big on on sort of trying to promote work-life balance and, and and mental health and you know all that sort of side so you know if only we had the answers but it's just so far it's just such we've just got such a long way to go in terms of the perception and you know like even nationally i mean i moved to melbourne and when i moved to melbourne i was like oh my god people here really actually value hospitality this is really really cool like and for so many of us that live in melbourne particularly in hospo you know it's the same there's so many of our guys are from interstate and they all say the same thing. Well, I came here because, you know, people actually value hospitality, but still they, we still have so much, so much further to go.
0: It is the the difference between Sydney and Melbourne in that respect is pretty significant. Not to say that people in New South Wales don't value hospitality at all, but they're just they're very different talent markets from our perspective. But I think um that entry, not to keep Labour in the point, pun the pun, but the disparity between the the businesses that do it well, um, when a staff member comes into the industry for the first time, and and those that do it poorly, I think makes you know it's it's huge and it makes mm. all the difference. I think the most the the role that the person plays when they're welcoming someone on their first day, I think, is so critical. And, and that first sort of four week period, because that will really, I I firmly believe that will really define whether or not someone stays in the industry for for five years or for five months. Like I think mm. the way that they're greeted. So businesses taking a really um pragmatic approach to who that that process and who's actually handling that for them i think is is pretty critical even for
2: uh, yeah and the interview right from from the interview and i mean i've Mm. always been you know it's part part of i've written a recruitment um module in our leadership program and it was all about that it was like you know the second that someone walks into our business you're you are the walking advertisement so yeah. if you get someone in for an interview you've forgotten that the interview's on there's a waiter running around going where's the manager so-and-so is here for an interview and then you sit down and go oh, i've got five minutes the phone's ringing i've got to go you know it's just what sort of start to the to us as a business what does that say about us it says i don't actually have the time for you that's what it says and the same goes for you know not calling an unsuccessful candidate back and just giving them the, the the courtesy of saying thanks for your time, but unfortunately you're unsuccessful. And this is the sort of stuff our industry is not good at. We're not good at this stuff.
1: It's come up before, uh, Bianca, and for all my sins of which there are many. I was a lawyer in a previous life, and uh, I was at Allen's, which is you know um, one of the larger ones. And, yes. And in the professional services thing, look, I reckon we've got to go talk to one of the get get one of the people in culture set people on from there in professional services. The efforts that firms go to to get talent is just the diabolical opposite of what you've described. You know, it is um, touted, nurtured, you know, thought about, and partly, um, and and in all those things that you're talking about is exactly the experience I had as a as a junior lawyer, and where the, the firm was. At scale, what you really care about is successful individuals because people are always going to leave you and they go off and do amazing things. And now, you know, not to make it about me, but now I'm the New South Wales Commissioner for 24-Hour Economy and which firm did I go to? I went to Allen's. And, you know, those relationships will benefit just as, you know, you know the ecosystem for, uh, Absolutely. for that firm. And so, like, I, it's, um, it's such a, uh, you know, missed opportunity. And I, I've i always found um, with that experience and also as an underdog with um, Time Out... I'd go into every interview um, even if it was a, a junior role if I could to basically sell our business hmm. to that person because only one in six is going to accept anyway or whatever but at some point sometime later they might remember that we were we were decent, we were on time, we were good, we were professional, all of those things. so what we're talking about really is a shift in power, aren't we we're talking about like it's it's uh, it's no longer it's a it's a seller's market if you're if you're talent I suppose.
0: so it came up in a heist again. You have a structure for what happens when a customer enters your business, mm-hmm. right? You know how they need to be met. You know how they need to be greeted. It needs to be exactly the same for for talent. You need to have a full roadmap. You need to treat talent as you would your customer. You need to invest the same amount of time in attracting them as you do attract a customer. And you need to treat them with the same amount of effort to retain them as you would any customer through loyalty or incentive or whatever it might be, um, just making them feel good and giving them great service. Like, it's got, it has to be exactly the same mindset, I think. I mean, we can get... Well, down. I'd happily do it, but we probably need to ask you something other than talent. Um, yes. How, how are you seeing the market now across your venues? I know you said you'd, you'd love to get Back open, sort of seven days a week. I'm assuming trading conditions are pretty good. Is it? Uh, uh, what's the feeling like across your pubs and, 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 anecdotally across Melbourne at the moment?
2: Yeah. Look, we were we were chatting about it before we were recording. Before I think you know, in terms of in terms of our two larger pubs, the SB and Garden State, really consistent there. We took a huge risk between lockdowns and decided to renovate our restaurant um, at Garden State. It was the first time we've ever sort of looked at a business and thought you know, I think we let out, I think naturally in hospital, you let your venues get to a point where they're looking pretty average and then you sort of do a bit of a lipstick reno, but is the guest really sort of seeing that you've got new carpets, you've painted, you know, we notice it, but is it gonna change your business? So what we thought is let's look at one of our businesses that's currently performing really nicely, but there's an area and and an area in that business that we think could do better. So we did a big renovation there and rebranded and a restaurant within there called Tippy Tate, which has been really successful and we're very sort of thankful we did it. but also, you know, shout out to the city of Melbourne. You know, if you go to Melbourne City at the moment, it is it is absolutely pumping. I mean, during <laughs> Melbourne Comedy Festival, it was just such a joy. There's so much going on. You know, we did, They've just we've done Moulin Rouge. We've got Hamilton now, so there's lots happening in Melbourne in in Melbourne CBD, and and we're certainly seeing that at Garden State. SB again, super consistent, but very, very weekend focus. So we can sort of, you know, from from Friday afternoon to sort of Sunday night, we can, you know, we know exactly what we're up for. And it's really sort of super busy. And and once once we got, you know, the late night vertical drinking back once we got dance floors back that was that was a huge game changer in terms of those large pubs. Suburban pubs interesting seeing a little bit more uh inconsistency. We're currently in the throes of trying to do our FY23 budgets and it's literally like, I mean, where do we even begin? We're trying to we're looking at analyzing data from 2019 and then this sort of mixture of when we were open and then you know, but what restrictions did we have at that time? So trying to write a budget with very poor data has been interesting um so yeah suburbans look all in all we're seeing they're 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 probably doing better in the midweek we're sort of feeling like they're midweek people are going back to their local you know really supporting you know the steak nights and that sort of you know trivia we're finding people are very much going back to that sort of experiential you know pub or or uh, venue experience and then the big pubs certainly sort of really pumping during during the weekend especially particularly but yeah it's just so nice to see see the city so busy it's just the best yeah nice yeah so that's where the businesses are sort of sitting at the moment in terms of the wider market look I think it's it's interesting there's lots of I think there's lots of different you know that obviously lots of different changes along the way you know much more of a focus on tech. Um, We've sort of seen such a difference in our sales mix coming back from pandemic, which has been really interesting and has really sort of changed our business in terms of, you know, we've got a really large batching program because cocktails post lockdown have just gone, you know, gone through the roof. So we've had to sort of, and, and that also sort of goes hand in hand with the labor crisis is, is we batch all of our cocktails basically now out of the SB and, and send them out to all of our pubs. And it just gives us that ability to sort of get drinks out quickly. And so, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. The changes have been interesting, I think, coming out the other side.
0: Are there any um, consumer behaviours sort of? I mean, there's a lot of concern around, not concern, sorry, just commentary, I guess, around new concerns for patrons around health and safety protocol in venues, for example. Are you seeing that in reality? Because I really don't. Like, it kind of feels like people don't care. Maybe I'm going to the wrong venues. But are there, there yeah, are people cautious about how much spacing you have or how many people are in the venue or anything like that? Not really. I'm not
2: seeing it a lot, no. I think the big thing that we saw particularly um, when we first opened is that people weren't match fit. (laughs) Sometimes (laughs) we were a (laughs) bit like, We were a bit like, well, hang on a second, Uh, maybe we need to, uh, you know, make sure that security are right on it and and, and all that sort of stuff. I think that was probably one of the major things. But look, no, to be honest, very little. And it's interesting when you watch the venues and, you know, if you sit there and watch how many people are sanitising their hands on entry and, you know, the dance floors, the second that we could have dance floors back, they were heaving absolutely heaving and trying to stop there was that period where we were trying to stop people from dancing and we'd people would be carrying high top tables trying to move them and we're like you can't move them they've got to stay we can't have a dance floor i would not i, I certainly I haven't
1: I it. It. <laughs> <laughs> i'll just move it move it what exactly this doesn't need to be <laughs>
2: um so look i'm not saying it yeah
1: what about uh and and uh, this used to be a long running joke on this podcast, Luke. When uh when when seedlip and the joke's been on us, right? Now, <laughs> it took us about two episodes to actually understand it was a non-alcoholic spirit. But um, what, what about non-alc uh, in in the in 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 your eyes? Are you seeing like uh, a sort incredible. of incredible,
0: yeah,
2: incredible, yeah? Um, we basically. Spent most of our venue manager meeting this week. We spent a good half an hour talking about our non-ALK sales and looking at analysis of non-ALK and product ranging and yeah absolutely incredible so basically we offer all of our you know even in, in our restaurants particularly we always offer you know we don't like to call them mocktails anymore well there's sort of the mocktail and then there's a the non-out cocktail but huge sales with our non-out cocktails and then we've just sort of ranging at a few of our pubs now the naked life guys there again just really impressive products and we're now sort of the marketing department are well into Dry July plans at the moment in the non auc space, so it's really interesting. Really interesting.
1: Yeah, I think it's. A, a, I was on a, um, a a industry thing in in uh, Sydney and and. Uh I don't know who it was, but someone was like, "Oh, you know what you need to do? You need to get rid of these lockouts." And I was like, "Oh, they've been gone for a couple of years, mate." Where But the thing I was sort of saying to them is like, "But talk, let's talk about your your um your, your non out selection and your um food mix—is it vegan, vegetarians? Like all these sorts of things." It's I, I think that um we we've uh, through our office um looked at partnering around a, a alcohol-free, drug-free um festival essentially Mm -hmm. like it's 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 such an increased movement i was wondering whether it was a a, a, you know the clean sydney uh, living model or it was more universal but i i just think it's um yeah like the numbers don't lie do they
2: no they don't and i think you know as i said i was at an event on monday night and i looked around at one point and there was like five or six people around me drinking heaps normal you know and that's at a hospital event you know we wouldn't have thought that that would be the case so And I also think obviously, you know, products like Naked Life where they've really, you know, we went into the Seltzer had their, you know, their moment where we were in that sort of lower calorie sort of focus and now a product like Naked Life that's zero alcohol and, you know, five to eight calories, I think per can, you know, this is what is really interesting um, and really sort of encouraging for punters now. And our focus around this Dry July campaign that we're sort of considering doing at the moment is, yeah, is certainly based off you know, this idea, I think people used to perceive fed fast or dry July as, well, I just won't go out. Like, for me, I don't want, well, you know, do you want to go out while all your friends are really... Whereas that's, I think, will be... There'll be a huge change this year in that, I think. I think people will be going out and, you know, they want to drink something and, you know, and you've got to present it nice if it's in a nice cup and it's got a great garnish and, you know, I think that people are quite happy with that.
1: Yeah, entirely. It's like I used to look at the theatre scene and um, the theatre fo- food foyer where there's a Chico roll and you're about to see, like, Shakespeare. It's like, hang on a second, it's incongruent for the yes. like it's So why would you, in a nice... Settings, they are well. Sorry, it's amazing food, but he's like, he's like, he's, he's, he's a softy. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. It gives you that point of incongruence with the with the with the meal sort of thing. Otherwise. absolutely. Are you saying seltzers dead?
2: No, nah, not dead. I don't believe it's dead, but I believe it's probably leveling out a bit. Yeah, right. I think there are lots of seltzers on the market, and I think there's just the key players that are continuing to sort of stay pretty strong, but. It was, there were just, there are just so many on the market now.
1: I'm just really enjoying this podcast. I got to say, like, it's uh, it's it's really a uh, nice talking to you, Bianca. Thank uh, you. It's making me nostalgic, Luke, about some of our our missteps in the early going. We used to do the original episodes at uh, the Welcome Hotel uh, around lunchtime, and and <laughs> four years ago, whatever. And and yeah, you sort of could see the quality of the interview, you know, as and, and the, as correlated to the size of our tab as we sort of progressed. And <laughs> I, I do wonder whether you know our version, Luke, in dry July is like a. Um, a, a naked life, like heaps normal, where you know there's 100 percent clarity all the way through the podcast. but yes. you know, That might be the, the the way forward for
0: us. I, I thought you were going to suggest the opposite.
2: When you do a speaking gig and you realise that you're at the end of the night, you're like, oh, probably it might have been a different speech at the beginning of the night. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Well, you've got you have to come down to. We've got a podcast here at the SB, so that's where you guys need to be um, doing your Melbourne podcast from.
1: It might take you up on that offer, and I'm absolutely. All- got a couple of bones to pick with you now bianca given that i've found out that you are are from originally from from new south wales and so how how do we get you back up here number one (laughs) did um did did and back to the your opening was there a uh please tell me the name of the restaurant that opened on that was signed on the same day was Bianca no
2: no no but look I mean look at look at <laughs> look at Bianca in in Brisbane like you want to you want a great name for a restaurant right I said that to our um because Bianca opened at that time when we were doing tippy tay and I was like oh look that looks like our name's gone for the venue <laughs> um yeah no my pet. back in the day I mean back in the day I mean I'm of course so young and youthful but yeah many many, many moons ago my parents had a restaurant in our and called La Stazione across the road from a bottle of red, a
0: bottle of whites.
2: It all depends upon your appetite. I'll meet you any time
0: you want in our Italian restaurant. What's your plans for Waterside? I mean, for those of you, there may be a few people listening who have no idea about like the SB or Garden State, but big yep. and sort of diverse is your thing, um, I guess moving forward. If you, yes. you take out the smaller pubs, but or the more local pubs. But I assume given the size of that site, you're going bigger potentially. Will that be the biggest? Is that going to be bigger than the SB?
2: It'll be just smaller than the SB, bigger than Garden State. Um, and and smaller than the SB. We're basically gutted the pub just before uh, just before the pandemic started so we were just about to start renovations obviously that came to a screaming halt and then from there over you know two years of what I what I call you know director boredom um, Maddie Mullins who's our real visionary who really is he's the one who creates these incredible venues he has come up with a concept i'm not sure that well we we can't seem to see anywhere worldwide that um is similar it's pretty incredible i would love to be able to say more but i can't but uh look we we own the building so for those who don't know corner of king and flinders street and we own the building obviously there's a heritage overlay with the building so keeping the facade you know really beautiful uh, along with those sort of heritage guidelines and then walking into what will be super incredible. So, as I said, we own the dirt, so we will be going down and up. So it will be, yeah, sort of five floors of, of pretty incredible uh, hospo land, I guess. Yeah, not something that I think we've seen much of before. Awesome. Yeah, which is really exciting. And in terms of where we want to head, yeah, again, for those who haven't been to a venue like the ESPY, what we love to do, what we've done there and what we're going to continue to do is build sort of these really, really large pubs that really have multifacet and brands within brands so a venue like the Sb has um, has 12 bars and we've got really sort of we've obviously got the Gersh um, the Gershwin room which is our music space that we've really kept so true to its to its um, original form apart from a new sound system it basically is as it was you know 20 years ago. And then we've got our Cantonese restaurant, Maya Tiger. We've got another restaurant in the back, Espy Kitchen. We've got the basement, which is another live music space. And we've got uh, the Ghosts upstairs, which is our cocktail bar. So that will very much be our focus moving forward. Garden State, similar, you know, larger sort of scale beer garden pub with the restaurant Rose Garden downstairs and a couple of function spaces. So that's definitely what we, you know, we sort of go against the grain of, you know, know your target market. We want our target market to be, you know, And i say this to our staff until i'm they're they're sick of me saying it but you know you treat the guest that's walking in from from the beach in in thongs and buying you know a six dollar pot the same as you treat you know a corporate client that's spending sixty thousand dollars on a function we treat everybody exactly the same and i love that you know a venue like the sp not only can you do it all in one night you could sit downstairs in the public bar have a beer you know, listen to some great music, sort of feel the music from the basement. You could then go and eat your Cantonese meal in My Tiger and finish up upstairs having a cocktail in in the cocktail bar. So that's definitely our focus is being, you know, having this multifaceted venue whereby you can just have these amazing different experiences and Waterside will certainly be the same. So that will be our, that's our next big project. So we're right in the throes of that at the moment.
0: I might be completely incorrect here in my perspective, but, and this question, did you learn much from going from Garden State to the SB in terms of how to better delineate venues within venues? Because I, I think like my tiger as an entity still sits, you know, that's, that's retained its, its, uh, its own identity. I think referencing maybe conversations I had with Dan, getting that same level of delineation was definitely an objective with Garden State. But maybe it hasn't remained as much is that is that a fair assessment
2: yeah absolutely i didn't i don't think we went as strong on the branding there so so garden grill um which was our restaurant originally and we went in with with sort of a high-end fine dining grill type uh, concept I think because we didn't go sort of hard on a you know a, a theme or a brand as such it was just sort of the associated restaurant it tended to end up then you know slowly it sort of started to creep in to become a bit more casual and all of a sudden you know there's a veal schnitzel on the menu and it sort of so it ended up sort of blending into the pub which of course means that it's not destination anymore like if there's no one in the restaurant and the pub's full like who's, who's walking out there and so yeah we've 100 percent learnt so much and it gave us the confidence to do and tay, to actually you know do a, 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 you know a, a different cuisine to do the italian cuisine there and it gave us the confidence to do it um and the restaurant is just performing so well for us and i'm not sure if you've seen the space it is highly highly you know it's all focused on the aesthetics it's like walking into A restaurant on the Amalfi Coast and we really went big with it and that was the difference between the normal kind of lipstick Renault I guess and we will do be doing that certainly uh at Waterside is is going with the restaurant will be certainly its own brand and its own cuisine separate from from pub type food.
0: Yeah, nice. I have one more question because I know we're, you're tight on time, but before we jump into the finals, are there any other plans on the horizon for the business? Yeah,
2: look, bottle cocktails are coming. So we're about to launch our bottle Negroni into Off-Premise, which is a new world for us. God, I've learned, I've learned a lot about Off-Premise in the last sort of few months. So that's starting. Look, it's just something that we, you know, when we were doing, when we were in lockdown and we were doing Takeaway Out of My Tiger and we did all of our set of batch cocktails and bottle cocktails there and realized that people were actually super keen to to get involved and and to buy those and so yeah launching with Negroni in the next hopefully in the next sort of week or so and then looking to branch out from there so so that's exciting and then yeah as I said just focusing on on our our culture initiatives really focusing on our you know our, our food and bev Mix some real analysis on feedback. And these are sort of my big sort of focus points at the moment is, are all of those sort of elements of the business.
1: In terms of, like, just one question before the finals, I know that was probably the one before the finals, but here's another one. Um, <laughs> like, I think that most, um, we're, so this sector is full of born optimists, let's just agree that. Secondly, so I feel like everyone's pretty optimistic about the future um, and notwithstanding all these day-to-day challenges, you know, the sector will come back bigger and better and all that sort of stuff. But mm. in the next sort of, the immediate future, the next six months, sort of the 12 months, like, how, how do you feel about that and, and what will be the big, the big, um, you know, characteristics of, of trade?
2: I think the big change will be in uh, the court like for us particularly in the corporate function space, it's something that really, really hurts um, the businesses is when we're not when people weren't, you know, particularly the big companies and even the small ones when we weren't doing functions and things like that, that will be, that'll be, I think, for this coming into this sort of November, December Christmas period, that will be a real game changer, I think, and will really help us in, in comparison to, say, December last year. So we're certainly looking forward to to that and budgeting for that and we're just saying you know the, the footy this year for example we're just saying you know people are just desperate to be out we're just seeing some everyone in melbourne i think you know again people don't live in melbourne for the beautiful beaches that's for sure what we, we live here because we love food and bev and we love culture and we love music and that's another big focus for us is really what we're doing in that sort of culture and music space and and developing our arts program i think people in melbourne are really are really sort of thirsty for as i said that experiential i want to come and you know have a dinner but then i want to go to the burlesque show that's in the gershwin room or you know something really creative like that so i think that that's those sorts of things i think will continue to be a game changer for us and look at the moment, you know, in terms of sales mix, as I mentioned before, we're certainly seeing some of those more high-value products, you know, in terms of our our cocktails and and wine, and and even with food, you know, people are. We've just sort of we've we found it to be tail, you know, we were really conscious when we wrote the wine list, for example, about keeping it super approachable, and it certainly still is. But each menu change we've done since we opened, we've just had to add on some extra sort of really high, you know, high-value wines because it's what the market wants, and obviously in the city you know uh, the corporates of you know uh, are getting back to to the friday lunch and they're happy to buy a really nice bottle of wine and yeah so it's been interesting it's an interesting sort of learning curve as we've opened back up
1: Awesome. All right, Ben, we've, we've really enjoyed this conversation and uh, we've got our pick five we're going to throw at you. I think uh, you, may have, you may have had some time to prepare, um, but uh, a favorite book or that uh, you've recently read or podcast you enjoy listening to?
2: yes so i am i am currently reading and absolutely loving the stanley tucci book which is called um i think it's called taste my my life through food it is it's such easy reading but it's just this beautiful story of his life and through the book he basically incorporates all of his family recipes so uh you know obviously of italian descent grew up in in new york and it's just beautifully written and it's just got these gorgeous simple you know recipes that remind me of my parents restaurant you know all the way through and i've just loved it it's just beautiful
1: are you cooking alongside it is it
2: no but i feel like i'm definitely you know putting in the 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 little note saying you know (laughs) when i get the time i'm gonna do it but yeah it's just i love i mean i love him i just think he's a brilliant actor but and and he's i think what he's done for food and and bringing sort of the food and and acting together i just yeah i just love him great uh favorite album or artist right now or ever this is a hard one. I've got a six and a three-year-old, so you can imagine my music taste is <laughs> oh, probably the pretty same. Limited, yeah. So, but I have to say, and and happy, no shame. I'm I'm loving a bit of new Harry Styles at the moment, and my daughters love it. So uh, that's probably about as exciting as it gets here. But yeah, there's a lot of Katy Perry and a lot of Pink played in my house. That's for sure.
0: I'm on, I'm on an Encanto phase at uh, the moment. Yes. so yeah, yeah. I can yeah. know every single song Just over word, and for word over again. Yeah, it's amazing. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, And uh, we've we've mentioned a few bevies during the course of this this podcast, diverse range. But uh, your favourite drink right now?
2: I went to the McLaren Vale over uh, January and went to the Never Never Distillery there. I love gin, but I went to the Never Never Distillery and they do an oyster shell gin. And at the distillery, they serve it with. Sonic, I, I mean, I, I didn't ever know what Sonic was, half tonic, half soda. I'm, I'm obviously well outside and a fresh bay leaf. And it was like game changer in, the, um, in my gin world. So that's currently what I'm drinking at home. And then love wine, you know, a glass of Chablis is, would probably be my, my ultimate in wine world.
1: Wonderful. Perhaps reading the book. Uh, now, yeah. a, a favourite venue that isn't your own?
2: Yeah, this is, this one is a hard one, but I think if I, you know, like if just a beautiful date night or a night with my, with my girlfriends, I love the European. I just think it's such a great restaurant. It, again, it's probably a bit of nostalgia for me with my parents, but I just think that they just do it so well. Um, amazing service, you know, beautiful food, super clean, just beautiful flavors. Love it.
1: And then lastly, um, who in the industry are you most inspired by?
2: Yeah this is an interesting one too. I mes- I mentioned Justine Baker before and I think that she's the one that would automatically come to mind for me in terms of I just in terms of what she's done for the industry and and I've always sort of followed her her career really closely. And oh, who else? Oh and look uh, a very good friend and I don't you know one of my closest friends in the world, but Kylie Monker who's a CMO at um, ABC just I just feel like you know every time I'm with her I feel like I learned something that I didn't already know and she just has this incredible insight into the industry and where the industry is heading and and not just from from a marketing perspective I think in in all elements of, of the industry um, she's just she's just always the smartest person in the room. <laughs>
1: There's some really lovely people there, all of whom we know and love. (laughs) It's been a morning, alcohol free morning, I should add. I've had a coffee, nothing else at the bottom of it, but I really enjoyed the chat with you today, Bianca.
2: So nice to see you guys and and, and to have this chat. I'm really honored to be on, on, um, on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks, B. Thanks, guys.